Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. See, that's our reaction to a health crisis. A health crisis comes to us, how soon can I get an appointment with the specialist? I'll ask my friend, who's the best specialist? How soon can I get an appointment? Where's the best clinic? I gotta go get treatment there. It's amazing just how much harm clinicians cause. I mean, Hippocrates, he couldn't have said something better in his first oath, don't do cause any harm. And in Mark, it describes this woman in Mark 5, 26, a woman who just kept passing blood, hemorrhaging, passing blood, anemic, passing blood. And it says in Mark 5, 26, and had suffered, she had suffered many things of many physicians. (laughs) That's a good badge for physicians to wear, right? Suffered many things of many physicians. And had spent all that she had, and don't forget that part, and had spent all that she had, and then the next part, and was nothing bettered, but rather grew worse. (laughs) So uh, who would like to sign up to go to medical school now? (laughs) So this poor woman had visited many physicians And they damaged her in many ways. And she spent all her money on those physicians under their care, and she just got worse. But what makes 21 so wonderful, verse 21 so wonderful, is that it describes a habit of life with Isaac. When he faced a crisis, he turned to the Lord in prayer. I mean, reminds me of a problem Jean she had with her phone. And Jean's phone hasn't been working because the water line broke under her home. And so at 4 a.m., she told me, 4 a.m. in the morning, she woke up concerned about her phone. And so what did she do? She grabbed her cell phone and and called the all-night number for the phone companies to come out quick and fix my phone. No, she prayed at 4 in the morning. And in the middle of her prayer, she heard static on the receiver that was left off the hook. The line was restored, 4 in the morning. That's better than being on hold with them. <laughs> That's what she did. When a crisis comes, why did she do that? Because when a crisis comes, a habit of life is to turn to God in prayer. Isaac's habit in life that we're reading about in verse 21, that should be our habit in life. We're faced with a crisis, we turn to God. And Isaac, he didn't just pray casually to God for his wife. He earnestly called on God. He called out to God. You know, Isaac had a passive personality. We've already seen that. I mean, the picture, the classic picture of Isaac is following Abraham up Mount Moriah. You know, that's a picture of the life of Abraham. Father, where's the lamb? God will provide. Okay, I'll follow. You know, that's Isaac. That wouldn't be Rebecca. (laughs) That picture of Isaac in chapter 24, verse 63 Isaac went out to meditate in the field at eventide. That's a picture of Isaac. He is a calm, retiring, meditative type of person. And being a second born to Ishmael, he had many of the following following type of meditative characteristics of a second born. I mean, Isaac, you want to be with a pleasant person? You want to be with Isaac. He's just like, he's pleasant to be around. He's nice. You know, he's not causing any waves. And he may have been passive, But when it says in verse 21 that Isaac entreated the Lord, there's nothing passive about Isaac here. As a matter of fact, the Hebrew word that's behind this word entreated is the word atar. And atar is from a primitive root that means to burn incense. And so it's really, what it's really saying here, it's more like a worshipful pleading to God as an intercessor. 
The word atar is used in Exodus 8.8, where it says, then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, entreat atar, the Lord, that he may take away the frogs from me and from my people. I'll let the people go and do sacrifice. See, here was Pharaoh. He's suffering tremendously. Frogs everywhere. Frogs in his bed, frogs in his clothes. And he's begging in a worshipful way. He's begging, intercede for me. Go worshipfully plead to God to take the frogs away. So that's the same word, atar, that's used here to describe how Isaac is interceding for Rebekah earnestly. It's not just a description of, you know, Lord, could you please do something? No, I mean, he is really into it. He's very earnest. It's just like the description of Elijah, where it talks about when he prayed for rain in James 5.17, it says, and Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are. And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three and a half years. He prayed for it not to rain, sorry. He prayed earnestly. When it says he prayed earnestly, behind those words, the Greek text uses the word prayer twice. So it's really reading, Elijah prayed in his prayer. It portrays for us that Elijah's praying, and as he's praying there, we're sort of like stepping out into overdrive in his prayer. It's like Elijah stepped out of the formality of his prayer. He stepped out of the how he normally prayed, I don't know. And he really reached out to God. He prayed in his prayer, which raises the question as to why did God allow Isaac to not have children for so long that it brought Isaac to this place of desperation of having to pray so hard for a child? I mean, it was God's will they had a child. Why? The answer is that God did not want this seed of promise to come naturally. But God wanted this seed to come by prayer as a confirmation this was from God. And sometimes that's what God does with us. We know that something is the will of God, but it's not happening. And like Isaac, we have to pray earnestly. Why? Because like Isaac, God wants us to have that answer to prayer that with a clear sign on it that says, not naturally, but as an answer to prayer. Now, when it says in verse 21 that Isaac entreated the Lord for, for his wife because she was barren, those words are interesting, for his wife. The Hebrew, nakach, it means on the behalf of his wife or in the place of his wife. See, he had his own pain. See, Isaac had pain over the infertility, but Isaac felt Rebekah's pain, and that caused him to pray, nakach, in her place. See, that's the kind of praying that God wants us to pray where we not only have the eyes like we talked about, not only have the eyes of compassion, but we have the heart of compassion. It's so easy for us to to leave our houses and we see people, but we don't see anyone. And we listen to people, but we don't hear anyone. And we touch people, but we don't feel anyone because we wanna protect ourselves from being disturbed, from being upset. So we build this layer of protective insulation around us called hardness of heart. But God wants us to feel the needs we're praying for. And he wants us to get into their shoes of the people we're praying for. He wants us to see through their eyes. He wants us to feel through their hearts. And then we can pray as Isaac did, nakach, on behalf or in the place of of Rebekah. That's true intercession. And that's how the Lord Jesus Christ intercedes for us. When it says in Hebrews 4, 15 through 16, we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. See, he's touched 
with the feeling of our infirmities. It means that the, when the Lord prays, he's praying nakach in our behalf. He's seeing through our eyes. He's feeling through our heart. Now, we read in verse 20 that Isaac entreated the Lord. And we talked about last week, how long was this period? It's made clear to us. He was 40 years old when he got married. He was 60 years old when these boys were born. So we saw that this was 20 years. This was 20 years. That means that, you know, the first, Isaac didn't waste any time. First, he takes her into the tent, all right? So after the first month, they waited, and they saw she's not pregnant. You know, they didn't have first response at that time, pregnancy test, but they had last response, which is just, anyway. So they went in, and so one month later, she's not pregnant, and this goes on for 20 years. And each month of the 20 years, they waited to see if Rebecca was pregnant for 20 years. That's 240 months. That's a lot of months. 240 months, 240 times they waited to see if Rebecca's pregnant. 240 times they see that she hasn't conceived. You know what that shows about Isaac? Patience, patience. You know, they asked Hudson Taylor one time, what are the requirements for a missionary coming in China and then mission in China? And he says, there are three requirements. He said, the first requirement is patience. The second requirement is patience. And the third requirement is patience. <laughs> so when it says that Isaac entreated the Lord, we understand prayer requires patience. 20 years of praying and waiting. That teaches us in order to become strong in prayer, we need to become strong in patience. Waiting, like it says in Hebrews 10, 30, 10 35 to 36, cast not away. Therefore, your confidence, which have great recompense of reward. For ye have need of patience, that after having done the will of God, you might receive the promise. See, the answer to Isaac's prayer was coming, but he had to wait. And sometimes after we pray, we have to wait and not give up because the prayer doesn't come immediately. The answer doesn't come immediately. That doesn't mean it's not God's will. Isaac waited for 20 years for the answer to his prayer. That's what makes prayer so difficult. If prayer was simply, I see a need, I ask God for the answer, and the answer comes immediately, prayer wouldn't be hard at all. Prayer, what's hard about that? But prayer involves waiting. And if we are not prepared, we don't prepare ourselves for waiting, we'll give up. We'll simply give up. Just how hard is it to wait in prayer? If we're to prepare ourselves for the difficulty of waiting in prayer, what should we be prepared for? It's an interesting description that tells us what to expect in this matter of waiting in prayer. And you might want to turn to it. It's in Numbers 8, 24 through 25. Numbers 8, 24 through 25. Because it's an interesting word here. And it describes for us, it gives us an insight as to what we're getting into when we commit ourselves to prayer and the work that we need to be prepared for. Numbers 8, 24 through 25 says this. This is that belongeth unto the Levites from 20 and five years old and upward. They shall go in to wait upon the service of the tabernacle of the congregation. See, they shall go in to wait upon the service of the tabernacle, see? And from the age of 50 years, they shall cease waiting upon the service thereof and shall serve no more. See, start waiting, doing their work of waiting when they're 25 and they stop 25 years later. And it says, this work belongs to the Levites, Wait, waiting. Now, we're particularly interested in this because when we read about Levites, we know that Levites were the priests and we're called to be priests. We're called to be priests, as we already heard this morning, in Revelation 1.6, where it says, and God hath made us kings and priests unto God and his father. And the job of a priest is to represent man to God. 
So when we read about the Levites, we focus in specially because we're reading about what God has called us to be. When we read about the Levites, we're reading our job description. And so as a Levite, as a priest, the job of the Levite was to pray, was to wait. As those multitudes of Israelites came to the tabernacle with their offerings of their sin sacrifices so they could be forgiven by God, with their offerings of their thanksgiving sacrifices for the goodness of God, for their offerings when they dedicated themselves wholly to God, for their offerings of their supplications for their needs. See, the priest was not just a butcher. He didn't just sit there and say, okay, bring them up here, cut them up next. That's not the priest. The priest took on his heart those sorrows when a person came because of sin for forgiveness. He took on his heart those joys when a person came with thanksgiving. He took on his heart that courage when a person came and wanted to dedicate himself especially to God, had an offering. He took on his heart those yearnings when a person came with supplications, requests to God for answers to prayer. Goes out of the tabernacle, goes about his daily business there, walking in the crowds in the market and whatever. And the next time the priest would see that person, he would say, ask him, say, oh, did God answer your prayer yet? Because your yearning's on my heart. How about it? And that's the primary work of a priest. It was a heart work as he took on his heart the burdens of the people who they came to him. So that's why he would do that. And that waiting part was hard, as it says there. It used to be churches had a midweek prayer meeting where prayer needs were discussed and prayed over. But the waiting part of prayer is hard work. So the midweek prayer meeting in the church has been replaced by a midweek church service. So the question is, just how hard was this waiting part on the Levites? Well, it's interesting. When you're looking there at Numbers 8.24, it says, this is that that belongeth unto the Levites, 25 and upward. They shall go in to wait upon the service. See, the word belongeth. That really brings it home. It tells the primary work of the Levite was to wait. And he starts when he's 25 and and so 25 years, he's got to do this. It's all about waiting work, waiting work. And what's interesting is the Hebrew word that's used to describe the waiting in that chapter eight, verses 24, 25. The word waiting, there's the Hebrew word sabah, sabah. Now, let me just read to you so you get a picture of what this meaning of this word sabah is. I'll read to you another uh, place in Numbers 31, 7, where the word is used. And they warred Sabah against the Midianites as the Lord commanded Moses, and they slew all the males. See, the Midianites were bitter enemies of the Israelites. And the Israelites went into these battles with them, and they were swinging those heavy swords till they had hacked up and killed all the males. And that's hard work. Slaying and slewing is hard work. And that swinging the sword hard work warfare, it's called sabah. And at the end of each day of warfare, you can imagine the Israelites exhausted, killing all those Midianite men. And the word sabah is used to describe this hard work of warfare. That's the word that's used to describe the word weight in the Levites. Hard work. The Levites didn't go into physical battlefront in Israel. They were exempt from military service, but they did go to the battlefront of prayer. And in Exodus 17, When Joshua with Israel fought with the Amalekites in the valley, Moses is on the top of the hill and he's holding out his hands, as it says in Exodus 17, 9 through 12. And Moses said unto Joshua, choose us out men and go out and fight with an Amalek. Tomorrow I'll stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said, said unto him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. 
And it came to pass, when Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy. And so they took a stone and put it under him. He sat thereon. And Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands, the one on the one side, the other on the other side. His hands were steady until the going down of the sun. See, Moses was not on the physical battlefront in the valley. He wasn't down there with Joshua fighting with the Amalekites. But he was on the hill fighting just as hard, holding his hands out in prayer, his arms out in prayer. And we saw just how hard it was for Moses because his hands were heavy. And Moses got tired standing. So Moses, he gets tired of standing, and he's holding up his arms. So they get a stone for Moses to sit on. And because of his tiredness, he sits there. And also because of his tiredness, he starts to let his hands down. And then Israel begins to lose the battle. And so he holds up, he gets help, holds up his hands. Hard work. Why didn't he keep holding his arms up? Because it's hard. It was the hands were heavy. Hard work. He got tired. He needed help. Hard work of prayer. And we see this hard work when we realize in verse 21 that there were that these 20 years between these statements, Isaac entreated the Lord, and the Lord was entreated of him. He had to wait 40 years before he got married. That was hard on everybody else also. And then he had to wait 20 years before he had children. Now, it's not uncommon for God to make a couple wait a long time before they bring someone special into the world. You think of some women who had to wait a long time before they brought in a special person into the world? Sarah with Isaac. Who else? Who? Hannah with Samuel. Rachel with Jacob, Elizabeth, John the Baptist. See, there are examples here. Doesn't show God doesn't love these couples because, you know, where, where's the babies? And so after Isaac entreated the Lord, we read Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she's barren, and the Lord was entreated of him. See, Isaac entreated the Lord, and the Lord was entreated of him. We can imagine how Isaac was praying. Oh, God, give me a son. You promised the seed that's gonna come through me. Give me a son. Now, Isaac was praying for a son. And how did God answer Isaac's prayer? Give him two sons. <laughs> I'll see your son and I'll raise you a son. He gave him two sons. <laughs> he says, two sons. And there's a word in verse 24 that shows how surprised and how happy Isaac was to see how God answers his prayer for one son with two sons. What's the word? Verse 24, it expresses how uh, the surprise of it all. Just one word. Yeah, behold. He says, behold, that word. We can see Isaac running around, and he's saying, I was praying for Rebecca to have one son. Behold, there were twins in her womb. You know, he says, and it shows that we might have to wait a long time for an answer to prayer, but when God does answer, it's often more than we expected. Like it says in Jeremiah 33, 3, call unto me, and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. See, in that verse, God is challenging us. You pray, you wait, and I'll guarantee you it'll be worth it. I'll make it worth it because I'll show you some great and mighty things you weren't expecting. Isaac, you weren't expecting twins, what twins they were. So finally, at the end of verse 21, we read, Rebecca has conceived. See, after 20 long years, hard work of waiting and praying and praying and waiting, finally she conceives. And we would have thought that finally now, all the troubles are over. Now we've got clear sailing. It's been a long time, a lot of trouble for 20 years. But now we come to verse 22, and the children struggled together within her. She said, if it be so, why am I thus? She went to acquire the Lord. See, verse 21 ends with this relief. After 20 years, the problem is solved, and Rebecca, his wife, conceives. Verse 22 starts with a new problem. The children struggled together within her. This new problem comes right on the heels of the old problem. Now there's a world war going, a raging war going on inside of Rebecca. As a matter of fact, this home, this home has just one trial after another. 
the, the first problem it was read about, Rebecca's barrenness. Then the next problem, the struggling of the children within her. Then the next problem, the transferred birthright. Then the next problem, Abimelech takes Rebecca into his harem. Then the next problem, the Philistines steal his Isaac's wells and fill them full of dirt. Then the next problem, he blesses the wrong person. Then the next problem, Esau marries the wrong women. Then the next problem, Esau vows to murder Jacob. Then the next problem, Jacob flees from his home. Apart from that, it's a very non-eventful home. (laughs) We should have a home like that. So there's just one problem after another. Problems just came into this home like waves. And that's a picture of what we should expect in our Christian life. See, like the hymn Constantly Abiding says, the trials of life may surround like a cloud. But in spite of all those trials, it says, there's a peace in my heart that the world never gave, a peace it cannot take away. Though the trials of life may surround like a cloud, I have a peace that's come there to stay, constantly abiding. Jesus is mine. So we see here in verse 22 that Rebecca is baffled by the problem, and she has a question. And her question is, why? See? Now, now we see that Rebecca has learned from Isaac what she should do. She should go to God. This is the first time we're reading about Rebecca going to God. So she goes to God. It's interesting when you compare verses 21 and 22 for what Isaac did versus what Rebecca did when they each came to God. What's the word used to describe what Isaac did in verse 21? And what's the word used to describe what Rebecca did in verse 22 when they came to God? Isaac entreated the Lord. Rebecca inquired, went to inquire of the Lord. See, they're not the same Hebrew words. We already saw that the Hebrew word used for for Isaac, atar, which is this worshipful pleading with the root meaning of incense burning. But the Hebrew word describing Rebekah is darash, and it means to investigate or to question. There's a difference. There's a difference between those two words. And they're really in keeping with the different personalities of Isaac and Rebekah. See, Isaac is not asking, why is Rebekah barren? He's pleading with God in a worshipful way. And Rebecca is not pleading with God. She's asking God. She wants to know why she has this world war going on inside of her. See, for Rebecca, she could deal with the problem if she knew the reason. Isaac didn't care what the reason was. He just wanted to solve it. And each person has their own battle station of prayer. And Isaac's battle station of prayer was worshipful pleading. And Rebecca's battle station in prayer was asking for understanding. And just like the Levites went to their Sabah battle stations of prayer, so Isaac and Rebekah, they each went to their Sabah battle stations of prayer when a crisis came. And so she asked in verse, she asked then in verse 22, she says, why am I thus? She's asking a question. She said, you know, if God has answered prayer, Isaac's prayer for me to have a child, God has answered Isaac's prayer for me to have a child, why is this strong jostling? going on in me. The Hebrew word there is very strong, ratzatz, ratzatz, it's a very strong word. I'll read to you a place where that is used so you get an idea of how strong that is. It describes what happened to Abimelech's skull in Judges 9.53, where it says, and a certain woman cast a piece of a millstone, she was up high, cast a piece on a millstone upon Abimelech's head and all to break ratzatz, his skull. The woman took the heavy stone, threw it from above Abimelech. The stone hit his head, broke his skull to pieces. And that's the same word that Rebecca's using here when she describes the struggle. She's being broken to pieces that's going on. And she's asking, how could this violent struggle be going on if God has answered prayer, which he has? And so 
we'll stop here in our next study. We'll be, we'll talk about God's answer, which is a number two. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for recording all of these histories for us so we can understand that, Lord, though the trials of life may surround like a cloud, we can have a peace that the world cannot take away. We thank you, Lord, that with all the trials that we've seen in their home of Isaac and Rebecca, that the peace of God that passes understanding guarded them. We thank you too, Lord, for the challenge of Isaac to love his wife, and we pray that in all of these things we've seen in your word this morning, that we would be doers and not just hearers. In Jesus' name, amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Sunday Night Church is back. Join Friendship with God Bible teacher Tom Cantor at the new Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Join us early each Sunday at 4.30 p.m. for food and fellowship with Sunday evening services to follow at 5.30 p.m. Watch Tom Cantor and the service on YouTube Live located on the Friendship with God website. Enjoy encouraging teaching from our Bible teacher Tom Cantor in a relaxed and family-friendly atmosphere. Sunday Night Church is back, so join us at the Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum at 10946 Woodside Avenue North in Santee, California. For more information, call us at 800-247-3051, 1-800-247-3051, or visit friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org for the Friendship with God Fellowship.